Ciao, Totally Sort of listeners. Darren here. I'm back from Italy, and we have a new Totally Sort of podcast for you. I caught up on the USA Network show Colony while on vacation, and I'm a big fan. Chris, however, found his love of the Arthurian legends was not satisfied by Guy Ritchie's King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Solo, a Star Wars story, is in theaters. Perhaps too soon for some, but Chris and I have both seen it. Spoiler alert, this is a full-on review. Chris was the only one with time for board games and picked up the imperfect Ex Libris. Finally, in our take-home top three, I come to grips with the fact that I actually do like musicals. It's all coming up next on the Totally Sort of Podcast. Welcome to Totally Sort Of, the podcast. It's sort of like a review show and totally like catching up with your best friend. I'm Chris. And I'm Darren. We'll let you know what you totally need to check out and what is sort of worth skipping. Cool. Well, uh, welcome back to Canada, my friend. It's been a few weeks. Thank you. I am back. I'm feeling it a little bit, but... Yeah. How was was the trip to Italy? It was amazing. Uh, We spent two weeks traveling around Italy... We went from uh, Venice out uh, to the countryside through Bologna and uh, Parma, down into Florence for a couple days, then off to the Tuscany region, where we spent five days at this villa in the Val d'Orca, and toured around to a bunch of hilltop towns and medieval forts, then uh, went on to Rome for three days to finish it off. So what uh, what were some of the highlights for you? As with uh, your trip to Portugal, uh, food was one of the highlights. Yeah, I can believe that. Uh, we were with our kids, so we were trying to keep them sort of engaged and interested. So we did a bunch of like food uh, activity things. Yeah. So the day we went out to Bologna and Parma, we went to a Parmesan cheese uh, place that was producing and watched the production process and then, of course, had a tasting we went to a Parma ham facility and watched prosciutto being made and went through the process and then had a tasting. And we went to a uh, artisanal balsamic vinegar place and w- had a tour walking through and, the process. Uh, let of... me guess. And had a tasting. Then there was a tasting, <laughs> yes. Cool. Sounds awesome. I like the idea of having a, a bit of a home base for a few days and just doing trips out. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it was really good, and the place was fantastic. Sweet. Uh, yeah. So I want to give a little uh, shout-out to the uh, company called Travel Impresarios. Uh, cool. They just did a fantastic job of setting us up with great places and uh, with sort of understanding that we had two kids with us so that we had to have things that would keep them engaged. Yeah. So, I mean, the best example was probably that we went to the Vatican in, in Rome. Mm-hmm. to the Vatican Museum, which, I mean, it's full of fantastic art, but it yeah. could be a little stuffy for kids to try and explain to them why the, all this art is uh, important or interesting or why right. you should care. So the uh, company organized with a, a, the tour guide that was taking us around a, a scavenger hunt 
and had little booklets for the kids for them to find things in certain areas. So it was like, this room is uh, full of art, which contains bees. Can you, how many bees can you count in the yard in this room? And there are doves in this room. Nice. That's pretty cool. They had a great time. So very cool. And then for me, I mean, one of my personal highlights was in, I love Florence. I've been there. My my wife and I went like 20 years ago at the uh, Uffizi, which is the sort of uh, huge art uh, exhibit in Florence. The Birth of Venus is there. This is um, the Botticelli uh, famous painting of uh, Venus sitting in the sort of clam, standing in the clamshell with the, the sort of spirits of the wind and stuff on either side. And I mean, it's there, right? And you just go up and stand right in front of it, which was just super cool. That's, uh, yeah, it is kind of neat when you just sort of realize, oh, that's the actual thing. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Uh, so what have you been up to while I was away? Lots of, uh, lots of gaming, lots of uh, catching up on some shows and checking out some new shows. Um, but then this past weekend was uh, Jen's birthday, so we went out for dinner. And, you know, for all that Facebook gets bashed, it is still such an amazing way to just poll your friends. So uh, I put a little question out to ask for recommendations of a restaurant. And not only did we find an amazing place to eat dinner, but we got ourselves a nice little handy checklist of places that we want to go or places that we're often thinking, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to check that place out. What was that place again? And now you have people's opinions on whether it's good or not. Yeah, well, I mean, we people manage to suggest almost every place that we've either been wanting to try or haven't been for a long time. And the one that we ended up trying was a new place here in London called Hunter and Company. And it's... It's in, uh, you know, there's sometimes there's like cursed spots where no business ever flourishes. And then this one is in a spot that has had so many good businesses, uh, but I don't know why they've failed or moved on. But anyways, a great little spot on Talbot Street in London. And this was just a really cool place with, I don't know, I kind of think of it as like hipster, hipster cuisine. It's just like kind of modern upscale but not pretentious, sort of fancy food, but served casually, that kind of thing. All right. And so we had things like duck stuffed poblano peppers and grilled halloumi cheese, but served in like a tikka masala sauce and really good cocktails. Uh, I finally tried a mule. Uh, I think they're getting to be a bit trendy, but I've always kind of wanted to know what is a Moscow mule or whatever. And they had, you could choose either a Manhattan, Moscow or Mexico mule. So basically, I guess the gist of a mule is basically just uh, whatever your booze is plus ginger beer. But uh, it was delicious. I had a Mexico mule, which was tequila and ginger beer. And I'm not a huge cocktail person, but uh, it was really, really tasty. That was our big uh, celebratory weekend. Sounds good. Shall we get into our weekend geek? I guess we shall. I guess you've been watching Colony? I have. I was uh, actually catching up because I was a little behind in season two and season three I just realized was starting. So I figured it was time for me to uh, get caught up. So I know I'm sure I've seen commercials for it, but off the top of my head, I've never seen it and can't even retrieve uh, 
uh, a synopsis of what Colony is. Why don't you give me the 30-second version? All right. Uh, Colony is a uh, modern or near-future Los Angeles. Okay. And aliens have invaded. And the cities of the world have basically been walled off by these giant like 30-story walls which descended from space and basically blocked off cities into, hmm. uh, they're called blocks, and sort of a collection of lo- of blocks is referred to as the colony. So there's the California or Los Angeles colony, and different sections of the city are walled off. And the Earth is being... the. The best part of the show is that everything is kind of up in the air and you don't really know exactly what's going on and they keep you like that. And the characters don't really know what's going on outside of their individual blocks because their movement between blocks is controlled and nobody gets in or out for the most part other than the governing authorities. So you don't have like uh, an omniscient third person narrate or anything just your knowledge is limited to what the characters know sort of yeah and so it really gives you the same sense of just that absence of knowledge and fear and paranoia that the characters have because you don't really know that they give the occasional hint because someone will say something like they just completely destroyed this other colony that tried to fight back or there's some references to other parts of the world that give you the general sense that what's going on in this colony that the show is about is taking place all over the world, but there's no real dis, uh, just let let you see everything that's going on. Cool. And so what the show is about is that these aliens have invaded for reasons we you really don't know. They're doing something on Earth, which we really don't know. Hmm. Uh, it's basically a story of a family and them being stuck in this colony and trying to figure out how to survive and what what's going on in the world. Cool. It has a pretty good pedigree. It's from uh, Carlton Cuse, uh, who was uh, executive producer and showrunner on Lost, mm-hmm. and uh, a guy named Ryan J. Condal, who's uh, written a whole bunch of other stuff, but is also, when I did a little look into him, he's actually writing a screenplay for the remake of Logan's Run. Uh, the main two main characters are uh, Josh Holloway, who was Sawyer from Lost, and uh, Sarah Wayne Callies, who was uh, Laurie Grimes on The Walking Dead. You know, I thought Josh Holloway, I always thought he should have been cast as uh, Marvel's Thor, but that's just my aside. Yeah, he has that look, that uh, kind of swashbuckler yeah. thing going on. He had a good swagger, good uh, good attitude. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I just think it's really well done and it works. It's just really just this drama. It's really slow building, but really intense. And it's obviously starting to move beyond and we are going to find out eventually sort of what's going on. Cool. Well, it sounds like something worth checking out. I'm Curious to see if it holds up that uh, intensity and pays off in a good way or whether it kind of goes the way of Lost and some other shows where when they actually start to reveal things, it's kind of a house of cards. Fingers crossed. It sounds sounds like a great premise anyways. Yeah, it is really fun. Uh, I, on the other hand, have been watching some 
suboptimal viewing, uh, especially in the movie department. I finally got around to checking out the Guy Ritchie version of King Arthur called Legend of the Sword. I think you said you've seen this. Yeah, I said I saw it, and and yet I can remember almost nothing about it. It was, I remember it, I didn't hate it, but it just being totally forgettable that... Yeah, it was such a mishmash. It's directed by Guy Ritchie, and, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, Snatch and Lockstock, and I think he did Rock and Roll as well. I was really excited to see somebody with this kind of style and flair take on a tale like this, and... It worked in a couple of scenes, and other than that, it was just like a hot mess, I thought. Yeah. You know, when when he was doing his own thing, and they kind of got into witty banter and capers and things like that, it was kind of cool. But um, I, I think seeing Guy Ritchie do a fantasy story that was more street-level like his crime movies would be way cooler than try and do the high fantasy, giant epic you know, action stuff. Because that stuff was kind of neat, but it didn't fit in with the the kind of snappy patter Guy Ritchie stuff at all. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Guy Ritchie's not really the guy you pick to do other people's stuff. I had a, I agree. Like, I, I think if he were to write a story about, you know, a bunch of thieves in a fantasy city or something like that, if he was creating it, I think it would work a lot better. Because, I mean, honestly, the stuff that worked it may as well have been created. They shoehorned some Arthurian names into it, but there was really no, or very, very little um, tie-in to this, the traditional Arthurian legends in this. Yeah, and I agree with you. That was the stuff that worked, the sort of completely invented from the mind of Guy Ritchie stuff, and what did not work so well was him trying to tell the actual story as people generally understand it. Yeah, um, one one tie-in that I did kind of like, though, um, on a purely visual effects, eye candy point of view, the kind of demonic, hulking bad guy figure that uh, Arthur kept seeing in his in his nightmares, um, yep. really was a pretty cool visual nod to me to uh, Frank Frazetta. I don't know if you remember Frank Frazetta, fantasy artist from. He was kind of one of the big names in swords and sorcery book covers and things in the 70s and 80s. Yep, did a lot of Conan pictures as yep, well. Yeah, a lot of Conan and Conan-esque kind of stuff. I, I really liked the style of that bad guy. He was he was pretty cool. I also liked that they touched on some weirder kind of elements of the Merlin story. They they kind of mined the the legends of King Arthur for a few nuggets that hadn't really been used in other movies like the whole idea of the the cave and um, the way they worked the Lady of the Lake into things. You know, there were some neat ideas thrown in there, but really overall, boy, that, that movie was a mess. Um, I did think one thing that was kind of cool was the attempt to make the pulling the sword from the stone a little bit different. And so they had it almost like a, you know, a royal decree that... Uh, that Vortigern was trying to find King Arthur. And so rather than having the opportunity to draw the sword from the stone, everybody was forced to try and draw the sword from the stone so that they could uncover the born king, as he was called, and hopefully, you know, capture him once they'd done that. So that was kind of a neat tweak, but it was a fun watch. It was, I wouldn't totally tell people don't see it, but don't expect much out of it. 
So do you want to talk about games a little bit before we head into uh, our feature today, which is going to be uh, a little bit about the new Solo Star Wars movie? Yeah, you, I understood, were, have been playing a game that I've heard of many times but have never actually played. Yeah, so I picked up a copy of Ex Libris. Um, a friend of mine was selling a whole bunch of his games, and uh, I picked this up off him for a good deal. So Ex Libris is a really awesome concept of a game um, with some really cool art and a really neat theme. Doesn't quite work. Um, so Ex Libris is a board game slash card game where you are um, a fantasy librarian building a fantasy library. The central mechanic, which works really well, is just that you've, you've got all these cards which represent a little chunk of a bookshelf. And they all have a letter, and you have to build out a book collection, but you have to place your cards in alphabetical order. And you can't move them once you've placed them. So you have to guess when you get, uh, you know, if you get like a C, do I want to put a C down? Because if I do that, then I'm cutting off everything between C and the next letter next to it, which might be a G. So it's, it's kind of playing on a, a really basic old card game called Racco which is just kind of like guessing distribution of the cards. Okay. Um, so I don't know. It probably doesn't sound terribly interesting like that, but it, it's a really neat basic premise that works really well. And you get it really easily. And it's it's kind of fun to try and guess, you know, what's going to come up and how do I want to place these things? So that part of the game works really well and was really cool. But then on top of that, they've layered kind of this worker placement element where you have to go to locations to get to draw a card and to play a card. And and um, it just was really clunky and didn't work very well. So they took a really basic premise that was neat, unique, and works great and force you to go through hoops, jump through hoops to, to do this basic game. So um, it's still neat. It's uh, something I'll probably still continue to play a little bit, but... Uh, so much missed opportunity in terms of like a great premise that really is kind of fun and compelling, but then you're kind of forced to do something less fun along with it. Mm -hmm. How old is this game? Uh, it's pretty recent. Actually, you might remember it because when we went to the Shut Up and Sit Down convention last year, it was in the demo hall. Okay. So it's about a year old. And, you know, the, right. it's, it's, the flavor is really cool. You know, all the bookshelves... All the cards have great art, like you get to see the spines of all the books, and they've all got really funny little fantasy names, just as flavor text. So it's it's a cool game, but it's it's disappointing because it could have been a lot better. And, and I, might, I might even kind of house rule it and see if I can perk it up a little bit. Come up with a way to play the card version without the worker placement? Yeah, just kind of minimize that part. Yep. Yeah. All right, now we've got another movie that we have both seen and uh, therefore can both talk about. Yes, and I think we're probably um, venturing into spoiler town again. So um, for people who don't want to have uh, the new Solo Star Wars movie spoiled, uh, you might want to skip this and come back to us in a week or two when you've seen it. Yes, we are going to talk about Solo, a Star Wars story. So, what's the verdict? I just saw it tonight. You saw it yesterday, I think. I did. I really liked it. Yeah? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed it, but I think I was a little more um, 
little more mixed bag for me. It was like a slight yep. positive. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I, I mean, I put it, I don't know, it's probably top five Star Wars films. I think, you know, to be fair to the movie, I kind of went into it. The biggest problem I had to it was not a surprise to me. It was the biggest problem I had with it conceptually, which is I don't think I really want to know Han Solo's backstory. I think he's better as a character without filling in all those gaps. Although as a fan, it was really cool to get all those references. As a movie, it really just felt to me like a checklist of, okay, what what details do we need to fill in? for Han Solo to be complete. And it really just kind of felt like that scavenger hunt that your boys were on. Okay, well, how do you get the ship? And why does he shoot like that? And it really just felt like shoehorning in way too many elements of his character and relationships into one movie. That was my biggest problem, was it it kind of made his life seem like an episode rather than a long, you know, history. Yeah, I didn't have that issue i kind of uh i wanted to see three things in this movie i wanted to see how he met chewbacca i wanted to see the kessel run and i wanted to see him win the millennium falcon from lando calrissian and i got to see all three of those things so i was happy and then in terms of those things i mean i thought bizarrely for a character that's basically a big furry teddy bear who just groans. I I thought there was like this chemistry between the two of them from like the moment they met. Like it just, I was like that relationship has chemistry somehow between the two of them on the end, like right from the the point they met. So that was great. Um, In terms of the Kessel Run, I thought all the action sequences were actually pretty good. And, like, the Kessel Run was awesome, and, I mean, the, the first heist sequence was amazing. Uh, the one exception, I think, which wasn't really an action scene, but the when when Han joins the Imperial forces and they show that battle, I, I thought that scene was terrible. I didn't know what the hell was supposed to be going on. Like, Yeah, agreed. The one thing that was kind of neat about that whole segment that I only kind of picked up on at the end is that, you know, some of these uniforms we are seeing that were just gray, brown, muck-encrusted filth were actually, I think, underneath, like, shiny white Stormtrooper outfits. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I liked kind of the dirtiness and and grubbiness of the universe. That that was yep. nicely done. I'll agree with you that uh, meeting Chewie was, was well done. Uh, Lando was fantastic for me i really like danny glover in it yeah i think they built on a very very slim character sketch that we had from empire and jedi and fleshed out that character in a, in a great way so that was really well done i thought uh l7 was kind of cool and i liked the idea that her her brain her nav system had become part of the falcon and that's why part part of why the falcon is such a special ship yeah, and why it's always she. Yeah. Although I think ships generally are referred to in the feminine, but... Yeah. I, although I found the whole Lando relationship with the robot to be just bizarre and unnecessary. Yeah, it was a little weird. They didn't they didn't milk it too much, but yeah, that was a little weird. I found the whole robot or droid uprising a little weird. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that part either. It's, I thought it was strange. It's almost... I think a 
result of doing so many movies that when people are looking for something new to bring into the Star Wars universe, they're going to pick apart one little thing that honestly, I think the Star Wars universe works a lot better if you don't think about that. So now that they make us think about that, they're just reminding us that droids are slaves and that these supposed friends that our beloved characters chum around with are completely and utterly slaves. <laughs> why, why, why draw attention to that? So I thought that was a little odd. But yeah, anything else uh, you especially liked about it or disliked? Uh, since we're already into spoilers, the whole... When 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 Han shoots him while he's still sort of monologuing, that yeah. that whole reference to the Han shot first Greedo thing, that was like that 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 kind of moment did it for me. Yeah, that was uh, pretty good. I would have liked uh, Thandie Newton uh, and Woody Harrelson to have more scenes together because I thought the two of them were great, and I was kind of sad that she died so early. I thought it would have been nice to see her stick around for a while. Yeah, it's funny when um, when the I, I don't know what the character's name was. And honestly, um, my one one other minor beef with the movie was the, the factions just all kind of bled into each other. Uh, but the, when the one marauder revealed herself, um, she looked a little bit like Thandie Newton. And I thought, are yeah. we supposed to think this is her daughter or something like that? Like, I don't know, maybe that was just superficial on my part, but I it just felt like they were revealing her for some reason. And I thought, Oh my God, is this going to be some sort of parent child thing that really doesn't need to be in here? So I'm glad that that wasn't the case. Yep. Um, I did think shoehorning, you know, this, the birth of the rebellion into this also was a little clunky though. To me, it was just, I don't know. I just overall felt like they tried to cram too many of those cool little details into one movie i think is overall my biggest problem with it yeah i thought i mean i still really liked it but there was this uh, and coming up with a specific example i'm not sure i can but there was this repeated use of phrases or very close to phrases being used by people in the movie that are were sort of iconic quotes from the main trilogy and every time there was one it was just it just felt really corny yeah yeah, I think those were a little cringy, and uh, it was fun. The creatures and, and uh, aliens were fantastic. I really loved the the scenes where we just had lots of different creatures. To Yeah, why do they have to do singing creatures again, though? Why do they have to be singing in the... Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I thought the sort of fish thing singing from the bubble <laughs> was a little, like... Uh, would uh, made me think of the lapty neck uh, yeah. bit that we were talking about. Uh, we talked about a couple episodes ago. I wonder if it's some sort of performance test for either creature designers or special effects people. It's like, okay, you have to make weird alien musicians, and they can't be lame. So go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I thought the the love story was a little weak. Uh, and I know what they wanted to do, right? They want to set you up for why Han Solo is jaded in terms of that initial interaction with Leia and then why he goes back to being the way he is afterwards for uh, The Force Awakens. But I thought it was a little, I don't know, weak, I guess, is the best way I can yeah, describe like, it. I feel like as soon as as his love interest, and I've forgotten her name already, Kira. Kira. As soon as Kira reappears, you know, I, I felt like 
I knew as soon as she reappeared that she was going to betray him at some point. It was just how and when. They did an okay job of of stringing out uh, that series of double crosses. That was a little bit better than I expected. So, yeah, overall it was fun. I think I just really would rather see something new and see a new a new Han Solo rather than, you know, have them explain away all the little details. But anyways, it was fun. So why do you think it's not doing particularly well at the box office? I think it's just Star Wars fatigue. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I I have a hard time believing that uh, it's, you know, like backlash to The Last Jedi or anything like that. I think it's just, you know, we've had three Star Wars movies in three years, I think. Yeah, and I, I agree with you totally. And it's it's actually more because we just had a Star Wars movie in December. Yeah. I don't understand why they went, like, what, less than six months to between these two. Like, I, I thought it was a nice schedule that I mean, Christmas seemed to have worked for them as a release date for the other movies. Why we didn't just get one a year spaced apart a year. Yeah. Like, why is this one coming out now instead of December? when we would have expected another Star Wars movie. So I I agree with you. I think there's some Star Wars fatigue that we did just have a Star Wars movie. I also think it probably was bad timing. Everyone in the world just saw Avengers Infinity War, like, what, three weeks ago? Yeah. And a significant portion of their audience just saw Deadpool 2 a week ago. And now they're going to see, now they need to shell out for another Star Wars movie. I think there's probably some of that. Yeah, and I I was kind of thinking the same thing, uh, especially in terms of Deadpool, um, because that was so much more recent. But And I was trying to think, you know, what are the rest of the summer blockbusters scheduled? We've got a Jurassic World coming out um, and Ant-Man, but I don't think that really qualifies. I I don't know. Do you think there are any other big big movies uh coming up yeah i don't know what the big i think there's a uh, i was thinking fantastic beasts but i don't think that's till later in the year yeah yeah so it just seems like there's a lot of uh the big kind of tentpole pictures as they call them um very early in the summer this year i think that it's either star wars fatigue or generally genre movie fatigue to get three of them basically within a month of each other because uh, I looked at the sort of bad numbers coming out, but if you look at the sort of exit reviews, it's 89% positive of people who see it who are actually enjoying it. So, you know, maybe it will either find an audience or the audience will find it eventually. And it'll, ha- I mean, if there's nothing else coming out, which I don't think there's anything on the horizon, it could ride for a while and uh, make whatever money they hope it is capable of making oh well i guess uh i guess we'll see yep i think it's about time we get into our take-home top three for the week okay so last last time we spoke whenever that was three weeks ago i think i asked you to come up with three musicals that you actually liked because we talked about how neither of us were really musical people but uh, over the years, they tend, to, I find, uh, they tend to grow on me. And I'll come back to one that I kind of liked and discover that I actually really liked it. So, um, so I'm curious what three musicals you might pick as ones that you were surprised to find you liked or that you had kind of grown into. Yeah, I think I 
came to a realization going through this exercise in that I normally start out any discussion of musicals saying, I don't really like musicals, but... Mm -hmm. And then when I went through all of them that I've actually seen, I think I'm going to have to just admit that I like musicals. (laughs) And probably not uh, traditional musicals, but that's partly because I have sort of a tortured history with musicals. Yeah. Because when I was a kid, my mother was uh, in this society called the Brampton Musical Society that did traditional musicals. So sort of Gilbert and Sullivan kind of stuff. Yeah, like Oklahoma and Chicago and and those kinds of uh, guys and dolls. And she dragged us to all of the rehearsals. So all of those sort of traditional musicals I've seen many, many times. And then also like then going to see an actual performance of them. And it kind of soured me on them for a long time. But at some point, I think I've rediscovered them, but still... I just can't do those traditional ones. So yeah. my, most of my musicals are the that I and the three picks I have are non-traditional, and those are generally the ones I enjoy. But I, in doing this exercise, as I said, realize I've actually seen quite a lot of them. Yeah. So the first one I picked was Jesus Christ Superstar. Cool. I kind of thought that might be on your list. Yeah, I mean, it was the first... Having seen all of those traditional musicals with my mother, uh, they had, my parents had the, I think it's four albums uh, in the box set of this. And listening to it, I mean, it's a rock musical, right? And uh, and it's, it's also just a really good story mm-hmm. um, or a really good interpretation of the story. I always look at the the Bible as this sort of mammoth work of fiction that has a lot of problems in terms of development of characters and what their motivations actually are. And this uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, for me, took the story of Jesus and Judas and gave depth to that relationship, uh, having sort of survived a Catholic upbringing, it really gave me at the time, uh, it, it kind of brought the story to life in a, in a way that the, the Bible didn't, that, you know, religion classes and church didn't. And so I don't think it really did that in a spiritual way for me, but it did it in a like, hey, this is a, a story mm-hmm. worth telling. Uh, having listened to the album many times over the years growing up. I saw it at Stratford in 2011. It sort of satisfied all of my, uh, the years I was listening to it to finally see it performed. So that's, uh, that's the first one I'm going to give you. Okay. Uh, the second one is another, again, uh, non-traditional musical. It's uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, it's, just the most bizarre story, right? Um, for anybody who doesn't know the story, it's generally about this uh, transgender sort of rock diva who escaped from uh, East Berlin. Uh, it's it's again, it's a rock musical. Uh, it has just this crazy soundtrack of sort of rock music and this sort of glamour uh, cross-dressing cast transgender Mm -hmm. roles all over the place it's like a ton of fun 
Now, I, I've seen the movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I don't know that I would want to see a production of it. Have you ever seen Hedwig Live? Yeah, so this is um, in terms of why I, I picked this one. Uh, it has both uh, that it was fantastic when I saw it, and it has sort of a this sort of bell ring moment for me in my life. So I went down to New York and saw Neil Patrick Harris as the lead in in the production there. Okay. And and he's I, I love Neil Patrick Harris. I think he's great, and uh, he was absolutely fantastic in it. And it was so much fun uh, live, and he was so good in it. And but it was one of those sort of moments of kind of I'm an adult now kind of thing because he I knew he was doing uh, Hedwig on Broadway. And I sort of mentioned to my wife, like, I'd really like to see that. And I knew his run on it was coming to an end. And so, like, for my birthday or Christmas, she just got me tickets and we went to New York and saw a musical. And it was like, it was really kind of a moment for me. It's like, I guess I'm an adult now. Like, I can do those kinds of things, <laughs> which is extravagant. Like, we're going to fly to New York to see a musical and then fly home, right? So, but it was really a moment, one of just that the show was great. I wanted to see Neil Patrick Harris do it before he finished up the role. I got to do that. And then I was like, wow, this was very adult. I guess I'm like all grown up now. Very cool. Okay. How about uh, your number three pick? Yeah. So this one was easy. Um, it's uh, Evil Dead, the musical. Ah. Which is, uh, I always say, it's it's not just my favorite musical, but it's frankly like one of my favorite things, period, <laughs> like in life. Uh, I think I've seen it about five times now. Uh, my friend Kaylee and I, we go see it every time it comes back to Toronto. And uh, if you don't know this, uh, this one, it's, it's a musical of the Evil Dead movie series, which takes uh, a mishmash of Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and the later sort of Army of Darkness mm -hmm. incarnations and kind of uh, smushes them all together into one story. It's a comedy. It's a blood and gore fest in the most uh, comical of ways. And it just, it is like so much fun. I will literally, I would see it every time uh, I, it becomes available. And I have for like the last 10 years, it comes to Toronto about every two years. And I've seen it every time it's been in Toronto over all those times. It, uh, it has a splatter zone yeah. <laughs> in the first 12 rows of, and there's a scene in the second act that, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. But every time I've that scene comes up, I laugh so hard that I'm like literally tears running down my eyes every time I've seen it. And I've seen it like five times. And it's just so the way that it lulls you through this sort of comedy that's going on, I, I essentially like I forget about it every time. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, you know what's coming up next? And then it's like, boom, and I'm like losing it laughing. It's just it's just such a good time. Like I would literally see it any time it was available to be seen. Yeah, yeah, that's one I have seen a couple of times uh, live and it is a lot of fun. I like that they kind of break the fourth wall. Or the third wall, whatever wall is between the uh, the performers and the audience. Not just with the gore, but with some little nods and winks. And 
I like that they do a lot of playing with cheap production and that, you know, that the, the actors all kind of, they're all doing their thing, but they all kind of know that they're doing a cheesy camp production. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really fun one. Oh yeah. And I've seen, uh, I mean, uh, having seen it over 10 years, five or six times, I've seen a couple of different casts and I have my favorites, but I've never seen a bad version of it. It's just been uh, good times every time. Right on. Well, thank you for sharing, my friend. Um, have you got an assignment for me for next week? Yeah, I do. Uh, one of the things I did on the plane, and uh, I watched uh, Coco finally. Okay. Have you seen that? Uh, actually, I half watched it um, via a neighbor on the plane, but I haven't really seen it. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I think probably I'll want to talk about Coco at some time because I thought it was fantastic, but uh, I thought I would then go with this, um, your top three animated films, which were actually made for kids. So not your Akira's or okay. uh, other anime films that are the cat. You know, aimed at adults. Yeah. No, uh, top three animated films in the sort of Pixar Disney variety that uh, were made for kids, but which you enjoy uh, as an adult. Okay, cool. I think uh, I think they will probably all be Pixar films, but uh, I'll have to have to think about that. Maybe some Disney's or or uh, I don't know. There's a pretty sharp drop off after you get past Disney and Pixar in terms of quality animated films, but uh, that should DreamWorks be... have some good ones. Yeah. All right, cool. That'll be fun. I will get on that, and uh, we, we can talk about that next week. Excellent. Well, I think that's about all we have time for this week. Catch us every Wednesday at totallysortof.com in the Podbean app, or you can find us on iTunes or in the Google Play Store. We'd love to hear from you, so uh, by all means, leave us a comment, uh, tweet us, Insta- uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, both of those platforms, you can find us at totally sort of. You can email us at hello at totally sort of dot com. Or uh, on the website, you can leave a comment, and we'd love if you would actually go on the iTunes Store, Google Play Store, and uh, leave us a rating or review. That's uh, about the only way anybody's ever going to hear about us. <laughs> Our intro song is Punk. It is used by the kind permission of the artist Kabana Black. You can find a link to his music in the show notes as well as links to a lot of the other things we've talked about if you want to check some more out for yourself. Until next time, I'm Darren Hogan. And I'm Chris McInnes. And you've been listening to the Totally Sort of Podcast. Talk to you later, buddy. You bet, pal.